You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. All right, today we're going to make decisions that you've sent in or we found on Reddit. John is not here today. He's gallivanting across the other side of the globe on vacation, enjoying himself in freezing temperatures. If you want to uh, submit your decisions or your questions to us for a future episode, send them to us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Let's get into it. First decision is from Puzzleheaded Milk 555. Ideas for in-person meeting activities. I work for a financial services company and our team of 16 has team building week coming up with people coming in town from across the country. I'm looking for suggestions for team building activities in the office that don't suck. That's a good start. And maybe actually fun and or productive. Do you have any suggestions? Okay. A lot of times people freeze in this environment because they're trying to make all of the right decisions that will please everybody. And typically, people who are motivated to please everybody get selected to be the event planners. (laughs) So if we're talking about making a decision that's going to, one, be quicker, and two, be more productive and or fun, uh, then we may have to sacrifice pleasing everybody, right? You... Whatever you think is fun in your life, you know for sure isn't fun for everyone. If it's fun for everyone, it's probably also boring for everyone. So you got to have some level of risk-taking ability when you're scheduling this. So what I think is the number one way to do this is to challenge the group with something that most likely nobody in the group has done. That's fun. And you know how fun it'll be because everybody will complain about it and they'll gripe and they'll moan and they'll not want to do it. That's how you know you've selected a good event. If everyone goes, oh, cool, then they hate it. If they complain, they go, oh, I don't know how to play pickleball. Then you've picked a great one. So if you want to create a bond, bonds come from shared memories and experiences, right? They come from overcoming something together. And it doesn't have to be you climbed a mountain together, you slayed a dragon together. It can be as simple as, we went out and we kayaked together and we didn't know how to kayak and half of the group had never seen a kayak before, but we did it and we learned how to do it. So learning something new, trying something new are very easy. I would ask the group, hey, what do you want to do? Here's five options. And I'd pick the one that nobody picked. All right, next from Dangerous Ad 826, short-tempered employee on the team. I'm currently struggling to manage an employee who is one of the seniors on the team but gets angry pretty easily and starts dropping F-bombs everywhere during meetings, emails, and that's making the junior engineers feel pretty scared. Any advice on how to manage this toxic employee? My thoughts are to give him direct feedback and hopefully he understands and changes. Have you ever had to manage employees like this and how did it work out in the end? Okay, so first of all, You need to decide whether or not this is something that is tolerated within your company. So I think number one is, is this actually bothering anybody or is it just bothering you? Um, And I'm I'm not saying if it is, if it does, if it is something that you want to get out of your company, I'm not saying you're wrong for that. You just need to actually make a decision and not just assume that it's the right decision because it might be a little bit crass. And here's why. If somebody's getting passionate and they're getting angry very easily, I think it's important to examine where they're getting angry or why are they getting angry? 
Are they getting angry because they're very passionate about the work that they're doing? They want to get excellent results. Or are they just getting irritated and unable to manage their emotions? A lot of times, really passionate people on a team who have a lot of fire under them, they can really motivate a project, they can get things done. They do rub people the wrong way. People who are high achievers often rub people who are not high achievers the wrong way. So I don't know if this employee is a high achiever who's getting things done in your company. My guess is that he probably is because if he was an underperformer and he was acting this way, you wouldn't be asking how to give him feedback. You'd be firing him. So if he's a high achiever and he's got this energy, you can't well, you can't squash that energy and expect the same type of high achievement. Okay. You got to go about it a different way. Number one, you got to decide, is this something that we actually want to get rid of? Okay. And then two, you have to accept the consequence of getting rid of that. And then three, how do we manage this toxic complaint? You got to say, is it really toxic? Is cursing toxic? I mean, dropping an F-bomb in a meeting is one thing. I think writing it in an email is kind of different. I mean, if I got an email with the F word, I'm a little, I'm reacting a little bit differently than if you just say it to me in a meeting. So I think writing it is a little bit different, but if you've decided, which isn't a given, if you've decided that you do need to address it, you have to be very careful about how you address it. You have to approach it from, and genuinely from the best interest of this employee. If you go to him and say, oh, that's not allowed, cursing in this environment, that's not good, and that's not going to work. If you say, hey, you're making people uncomfortable, I my guess is this guy doesn't care at all <laughs> because he's the type of guy that's writing the effort in an email that he's sending out. He doesn't care that it's bothering people. That's not on his radar. You have to approach it with a motivation that would actually matter to him. So you say something along the lines of this, hey, Tom, I know that you care about getting excellent results in the workplace. That's one of the great things we like about having you here is that you push the ball forward and you hold us all to a high standard and you hold yourself to a high standard. That's why you achieve so much for the company. I love that. It's great for our company to have you here. My concern is that sometimes you make it difficult for yourself to get those great results because you unintentionally drive people away from you. And I know you're not doing it on purpose, but if I observe some behaviors that were driving people away from you, would you want me to share that with you? Well, of course he's going to say yes. Yeah. I don't want people to, I don't want to push people away. I want people to, to work with me. I want them to, to get these results. You go, okay, amen. I think the language, and, and again, I know it's coming from a good place, but I think the language is having a net negative impact on you. You know, I think it's, it's giving people a reason to not listen. That's how you do it. Don't tell him he's wrong. Don't chastise. Don't wave your, wave, wag your finger at him. Uh, approach it from a motivation that actually matters to him. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is from Xander's 500. He's uh, just got a new role. Says, hey, I'm 27 years old. Just got promoted to assistant manager at my branch. I work with people of all ages. There's one middle-aged man who also went for the job and didn't get it and is very upset. Any thoughts on how to address the team when it's announced? Slash if I talk to this person about it. Also, anybody have tips to overcome perceptions and objections about being a young leader? Thanks. Number one, um, but I don't know that addressing this with the party, you know, the man who feels afflicted and victimized is probably going to help you in any way. I think you'd have to be a really, truly excellent communicator to 
bring this topic up explicitly to him without seeming even more condescending than he might already think you are. Um, he's going to say what he's going to say about you or about the decision to promote you over him. He's going to feel how he wants. If he chooses to feel victimized, if he chooses to feel like he's got been unfairly treated, uh, that's his decision. I don't think you owe it to him. Um, maybe if you were friends before, if you had a really good relationship before, then maybe it's worth talking about. But outside of that, I don't see how it benefits you to to talk to him about it at all. You don't owe that to him. The second is how to overcome perceptions and objections of being a young leader. Uh, there isn't any, you just have to work harder. That's the answer. So you, your youth and inexperience uh, will give people a reason to dismiss you. You cannot overcome that except by having age and experience, which you will get over time. So you're going to make mistakes due to your inexperience. Uh, you're going to, you're going to mess up from time to time. But if you avoid the most major mistake that young leaders make, this will solve 90% of your problems. So most bad leaders, and this is particularly the case with young inexperienced leaders, they lead from authority. They lead from authority. They think, well, I have this position, so you have to do what I say. Or when they're questioned on a directive, they say, well, I'm the assistant manager. <laughs> well, I'm the sergeant. Well, I'm the boss here. So what I say goes. And that is the worst thing that you can do. And you know that it's bad because you remember probably if you were a child raised in America uh, or anywhere in the world by human parents, you remember saying, mom, why? And getting the answer that frustrated you more than any other answer, which was because I'm your mom, because I said so. And that's bad leadership. It works when it's coming from mom and dad. It does not work when it's coming from assistant manager. So as long as you avoid that and you find other avenues to lead, other ways to motivate people, other ways to get your message across, you're going to be doing better than most leaders. You're going to be doing better than most young leaders. All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, we've got a decision from Reputation Basics 6278, advice for the good boss. All right, are, the title alone, are you the good boss? Because if you are, I feel like maybe you're not, you shouldn't be saying that. It reminds me of a Buddy Wakefield quote. I would say it's been humbling, but I suspect humble people don't use that word. Uh, don't call yourself the good boss. I'm an owner of a small company with 11 employees. I go out of my way to show my employees my appreciation to them, and I do it in a way that they want. I ask then how they want to be recognized and what for. Okay, I can kind of see where this is going. Um, I'm going to guess you're probably not getting the results that you think. And largely, this may be your mindset. You already think you're doing everything right. I go out of my way. Look at me, me, me. You've made yourself the victim. You're not getting the results that you, I do exactly what they want and then ask, and I'm so empathetic and I ask them how they want to be recognized. Okay, maybe let's do some more self-reflection and be absolutely certain about whether or not that's the case before uh, we take a victimizer mindset. I'm empathetic towards them as for their input to ask for their input to ensure that they feel heard. I do check-ins to make sure they're not feeling burnt out. I show that I care about them, not only as an employee, but as a person as well. Yet I still don't feel like that's good enough. It seems like the more I try to be, quote, the good boss, the more people expect and it's becoming exhausting. 
okay, so you can't be the good boss. That's part of it. You can't, you can't do that. And you certainly can't be the self-anointed good boss. That's clearly not working for you. It won't ever work. Um, and why won't it work? It's because you're the boss. So you can't be their friend. You can be, you can connect with them emotionally. You can be a great leader. Uh, you can be there for them. You can truly care about them. Uh, you can get along really well. You can be involved in their lives, but you're never going to be a friend. It's just a different thing. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean you don't care. It doesn't mean you don't get along, but you can't be friends with someone that you have power over. Um, so the more you try to be their friend, the worse leader you'll be for them. And they won't like that and they'll not respect it uh, because it's it's not genuine. It's perceived as not being genuine. If somebody was sitting there going, I do, look at all these things I do for you. Would that make you like them more or less? Would it make you feel like they're your friend or not? Yeah, friends don't do that. And and a boss, which I don't like the word boss, but boss can't, can't do that either. I have someone, he's, he, he keeps going, he or she keeps going. I have someone who I've given three raises to in less than two years, not a few cents either. Compromise them uh, with them on offering a, a set schedule and approves their requests off 95% of the time. Yet when asked if they feel valued and appreciated, their response is neutral. I'm exhausted. Any advice? Okay. So yeah, I think that y- your mindset is largely inhibiting your ability to make good decisions as a leader uh, and as an employer. So instead of assuming that you've done a great job making them feel heard and respected and valued, and then being disappointed when they say they aren't, you ask, what would make you feel heard and respected and valued? You have to ask, right? This is, if you could simplify this to an experience that's more universal, say it, this is like if you're, um, you did the laundry and the dishes and cleaned the house and made dinner for your husband and he was still in a grumpy mood and felt like your relationship and you ask him, how's the relationship going? And you go, he goes, I mean, it could be better. And you go, what? I made the dish. I did the dishes and cleaned the house and did the laundry and like the food. I did look at all these things I did for you. Well, yeah, he says it's because you did them with an attitude of look at what I'm doing for you. And then that doesn't feel good. And we didn't talk, we didn't go on a date night. We didn't, you didn't just talk to me about my day. You didn't, we didn't really connect. You just did all these things that you thought I wanted that I never told you I wanted and then made me feel guilty about it. So I think if you ask them directly and and don't assume that you're doing a great job, because I mean, it's possible that this person just has a terrible attitude no matter what they get from you, uh, they're going to be, you know, a toot about it. But it's also possible that whatever way they would make them feel seen and validated and heard and, and valued and respected is simply not happening in your company and you could change it very easily. So there's a lot of these problems that we face as leaders can be solved by clear feedback and feedback happens not when there's accusations, not when there's assumptions and not when there's what a lot of people think brutal honesty. It happens when there's curiosity. You have to be curious with them and say, Hey, like what would make you feel good instead of approaching it from a position of a victim, which is what you're doing now. We need to go from, from a victim. Hey, oh, poor me. I can't do anything right. 
to being empowering yourself to make the right choices. Next. All right, this is from Reddit user, all that glitter is gold. Different businesses with the same name. Do I need to change mine? I'm in the process of opening a new business at the moment. We're very close to actually opening with the website and everything done. A friend recently made me aware, though, of an already existing business with a very similar name, but in a very different niche. I don't want to say what the name is on here, but mine is basically just two words clumped together than the word agency on the end. The other business is only those two words. Again, completely different niches. I've already set up all the branding and everything, so it would be a massive pain and delay if I were to have to change the name now. Okay. So number one is what you need is legal advice. <laughs> you need to determine if there actually is a legal reason to change the name, but there's a broader decision-making fallacy that you're falling victim to right here. And that's the sunk cost fallacy. Oh my gosh, I've spent so much time and money into getting this done. It would be such a pain to undo it. And yeah, you're right. I mean, I can't imagine if the day before I opened my business, uh, somebody said, you can't call it decidedly. That would, poof, man, that'd be a gut punch. At the same time, would it be easier to do it today or five years from now? Uh, it'd be much easier to do it today. So you, you've got to, I think you need to seek out the appropriate advice, not the advice that you want to hear. Find out, is this a true legal issue? Um, I don't know. There's not really enough information here. Um, from and I'm not a lawyer, so I couldn't tell you. But you you cannot consider the time and money that you've already spent on something as a reason to continue down the same road. Oh, we've already, look at all the work we've done to set it up under this name. Let's just do it anyway. Well, okay. But that could really come back to bite you if all of a sudden you've got 100 clients and you've got market recognition and you're known in the community. You've You've spent money on signs and forget the website. You got a bunch of nice hats and shirts that all your employees are wearing. It could be a lot worse than it is right now. So this is a blessing that you're finding out before you really open the business, uh, as opposed to, you know, once you've made it really big and that other company uh, decides they want a, a payday by getting litigious. So the next one, this is from after underscore chemistry, hiring a call center. Does anyone have experience hiring a call center for their business? I own a service business and I'm too busy to take calls, schedule, do the job and do everything else. My initial feeling is a call center wouldn't know how to deal with specific questions and wouldn't be able to schedule properly for me. Or should I hire someone in-house as a receptionist? So I, a really smart businessman gave me advice uh, several years ago. He said, outsource everything that you're not the best at. Okay, so... What is your special sauce? What are the things that make your company stand out? What are you known for? What are your brand promises? Everything else needs to be outsourced. Not only can you outsource it, but you should outsource it. You shouldn't spend your time doing things that um, you're not great at because probably by outsourcing it, you can, uh, you can do it for not only lower costs, but higher quality. So the question that you've got to answer is, you know, what type of service are you providing? If you're providing high-end luxury service, then part of what you're doing better than anybody is connecting with people, solving their problems, making them feel valued, making them feel welcome. You're giving them a Four Seasons experience. Well, Four Seasons does not outsource 
their call center. <laughs> they want to have a Four Seasons experience in the room and on the phone. Okay, if that's not part of your brand promise, it's not part of your vision, then maybe outsourcing the call center would be best for you. I don't know, but I think you need to get really clear with your vision to determine what your brand promises are. And then once you're clear on your brand promises, you're going to know whether or not it makes sense to outsource this component or not. For our business, it wouldn't work. Well, my clients, you know, we're managing millions of dollars for them. We have a, a good relationship. We talk to them, you know, all the time. If they call in and they get somebody from another country answering the phone, that's not going to go well. But, you know, if I was a landscaping business and my clients didn't really know my first name, they just know we're the lawn guys that show up. Yeah, you know, they'd probably be fine with a call center based on the price point and based on the service model. So that's a question that you're going to have to understand uh, for yourself and make a decision on what to compromise. Um, I think we've successfully made your decisions. So tune in next week. And until then, defeat bad decision making. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.